I love how you started there, James. You said, we are really blessed today. Pastor Steve is not with us. Um, so this is my kind of church. I like this. This is good. Um, I'm glad when I've turned up and I've seen you all, because I said to Steve, like, just, just tell me, is there anything I sort of need to know before I arrive? He goes, yeah, you should probably wear, like, a suit and tie and, you know, just make sure you present yourself well. And um, I'm glad I ignored him on that one. <laughs> that would have felt very awkward. Um, but I did ask him, I said, okay, very happy to come and speak. Uh, I thought he would be here, but it just so happens that he's not. Um, and I said, is there anything you want me to speak to? Like, are you in the middle of a series? Is there something you guys are really focusing on? And he said, no, nah, look, just, just whatever you want. Just, you know, turn up and give it to them. Just, you know. And I went, oh, I don't know about that. Because um, <laughs> it is, we do want people to like us, don't we? You know, it's like... Um, but what I, when I prayed about that, I just thought um, something jumped out at me. So last year, when I was the campus pastor at Coast Community Church, um, we spent, in fact, 18 months to go through the book of John. We went through it really slowly. Um, and there was a passage that I preached on probably a year ago now um, from John 17, and, and that came to mind. So I want to go to John 17 with you today. Um, this is actually the Lord's Prayer. It's the prayer that Jesus prayed in John 17. So if you've got a Bible, can I encourage you to open that? There will be some verses on the, on the screen, um, or get your phone out and uh, turn to John 17. Now, you may know that John chapter... 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 is pretty much one big discourse. It's one um, time in the upper room where Jesus is just doing a lot of speaking before he goes to the cross. And John 17, the way it's set up for us, there are three prayers in that part. So there's the first part where Jesus prays for himself, getting ready to, to take up the cup and, and do what the Father's asked him to do. The second part is John prays, sorry, Jesus prays for his disciples. And then the third part, which we'll look at today, is where Jesus prays for those who will believe in the future, which is, which is us, which is the church. And so as Jesus prays this prayer, we can split it up into those three. And for the first part, Jesus prays for himself, and he prays that he would be glorified before the Father that he would return to the glory that he had with the Father before creation. And so he prays to be glorified. Then he prays for the disciples, the, the, the 11 that he had with him at that point in time. Because uh, one hit the road. But there's 11 there and he prays that they would be sanctified or made holy or set apart or prepared to go and do the very thing that he has been calling them to do. And then the prayer at the back end of chapter 17 is for the future believers, for the church, that we would be unified. And so in the three parts of his prayer, he prays that he would be glorified, his disciples would be sanctified, and that the church would be unified. And that's where I want to pick it up today. So we're going to start in verse 20 of chapter 17. Let me pray for us as we open the word. Now, Father, we thank you that we have the person of Jesus, 
the example of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus, and in this case, the prayer of Jesus to engage with so that one, we can know you better. Two, we can understand who you've called us to be. And three, we can understand what you've called us to be part of, what you've invited us into. So Holy Spirit, would you be at work through your word, through my words this morning, so that we would get a glimpse and a fresh revelation of who you are, what you're doing in us and through us for your glory and honour. And that's our prayer together. Amen. Amen. Verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone, them being the disciples that he had just prayed for. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. There's a fair bit in that. And as I sat in this, I was left with a question. What if, what if this passage, what if these seven verses, what if this prayer of Jesus was the key informer for our mission as we move forward as the church. I want to unpack that this morning. I don't know any of you very well at all. I've learned a couple of names this morning. So I'm going to speak about me, and I trust that because most of us are like the rest of us, you may relate to this. But my natural disposition is to be selfish. I'm seeing a few nods. That's my natural disposition. And when you have a bunch of people who are prone to being selfish hanging out together, the end result is usually disunity. I can see that in my immediate family as I grew up with siblings I can see it with my own family. I can see it in workplaces I've been in. I can see it in churches I've been part of. At its core, right at the centre, sin is a concentration on the self. It's about me and building my kingdom, not submitting to God's will and his kingdom. We often settle when we come together in a place like this. We often settle for politeness and niceness, and social pleasantries. But not all of us deliberately pursue intimate relationships with one another. And I reckon our language even gives us away in this. I hear things all the time like, I go to church. 
I attend that church. I might turn up at church. Now, I struggle with that because the Bible is pretty clear that we are the church. You can't go to something that you are. You can't choose to attend something that you are in the truest core of your being. We are the church. We are the body of Christ. We are the family of God. That is the identity piece when we step into following Jesus. And so when I think about that, I think we have to contend, pursue unity when we come together. It doesn't happen by osmosis or just naturally. In fact, I think it's quite rare, even for a church community, to be truly lovingly unified. Now, again, I don't know you guys at all, and I don't know how you operate, so hopefully I'm preaching to the converted this morning. But maybe there's something in this for all of us. Estimates would say that there are about 2 billion Christians in the world today. If you ever hear people say that the church is in trouble, that the church is dying, there are more Christians per capita in the world today than at any time in history. Jesus is building his church. Jesus' church is not in jeopardy. The Western church is struggling, but Jesus is building his church. About 2 billion Christians in the world today. And I read a study from the Centre of the Study of Global Christianity at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. This study was released in 2019. And this study said that out of those 2 billion Christians in the world today, there are an estimated... I'll, I'll let you have a guess first. How many denominations, Christian denominations, do you think might be in the world as of 2019? Someone throw a number at me. Thousand, that's a good guess. Who thinks it's higher than a thousand? Yeah, you're right. 45,000. This study released in 2019 reported that there are an estimated 45,000 Christian denominations in the world. Now, a denomination, by definition, means that at some point in time, a group of people who were meeting together like this had a disagreement with another group of people and there was a split and a division. And we're going to go and do our own thing. And we're going to do it the way we think it should be done and because the way we think about this or the way we practice this or the way we believe this, we think that's the right way. That's by definition what a denomination is. 45,000 of them. Jesus' prayer is that we as the church would be unified. As I continued reading this study, it, it highlighted uh, another thing, and um, a lady, Michelle Sanchez, her name is, Professor of Theology at Harvard Divinity School. Um, she made the comment that with the Reformation, so the Roman Catholic Church was controlling the use and the um, presentation of Scripture. So with the Reformation, a big part of that was that there was the belief that anyone could read Scripture for themselves and have a personal relationship with God. We didn't have to go through the mediator of a priest. 
Now, the obvious problem emerges, Michelle Sanchez says, whose interpretation of Scripture is the right one, if we can all interpret it ourselves? And then she said this, as believers debated the Scriptures and the sacraments and churches formed and split based on biblical interpretations and ways of worship and organisational structures, etc., etc., the church began to become more denominational. So keep that in mind as we come back to today's passage. What is the source of our unity according to Jesus' prayer? The source of our unity is union with God. Look, Look at this, it's in bold. Jesus says, Just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us. And a little bit further, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. It's union with God that is the source of our unity. So I've looked at this problem of 45,000 different denominations and initially I was shocked and thought, that is terrible. And then I thought, maybe it's not terrible because God's a redeeming God and God can actually use all things for his good purposes. If there are 45,000 different denominations, then there are 45,000 different flavours of the church and for some people a particular flavour is attractive and another one might not be. Maybe more people can come into relationship with Jesus with a variety of denominations than if it was just singular. Maybe. That's just an aside that I was thinking. So the source of our unity is union with God The reason for unity, Jesus highlights this too. He says, May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. When the church is unified, the world will believe in the person of Jesus. A little bit further. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. When the church is unified and looks more like the body of Christ, the family of God, people will get to see the character and nature of our Father. Because God in himself is unity, Father, Son, Spirit. When the church is unified, God is revealed. Our unity is meant to be visible to others. That's Jesus' prayer. Now, it's important to note that disagreement does not have to equal disunity. Maturity would land us in that place. The way we handle disagreements in the church might be one of the best witnesses we can have to the world. But if we are to be a Christ-like witness in our world, we need to be counter-cultural to the way we engage and handle our differences. I don't know about you, but the culture around me, the culture around us says something like this. It says, if you're not completely for me, If you're not condoning what I think and what I believe and what I'm doing, if you're not affirming me, then you're against me. And if you're against me, we cannot have relationship. 
That's the culture we are swimming in. Unfortunately, many of us bring that culture into the church. And when someone can have a difference of opinion around a theological position, a doctrinal statement, a way to practice something, a way to potentially believe something, many of us, instead of pursuing unity, say, we disagree, we cannot be in relationship, we are going to go our separate ways. And too often that happens within the walls of the church community. We are actually called to pursue unity, not just take it or leave it. There's a Greek word that the early church fathers used to help describe the Trinity. Now, I don't know if you've ever looked into the Trinity in theological terms. Really, really hard to understand. Really, really hard to describe. Um, People have spent lifetimes writing and thinking and studying this. um, And maybe none of us are still any wiser because it's just a difficult concept. But there's a Greek word called perichoresis. You may have heard of it. And basically it's this, it's this dance of love between Father, Son and Spirit where each um, personhood in that triune God shows their love and deference. They defer to the others. They want to serve and love and defer to the other. And so there's this self-emptying love. And the beauty and the flow of this giving and receiving of this love is the community of the Trinity. And that is what we are being invited into. That is what the church, that is what Jesus and the Father and the Spirit are all working towards, that we would be caught up into the very presence of God himself. There's this idea that the more you give of yourself for the sake of the other, when they are doing that also, you don't end up in a deficit. You don't end up being the one who just gives and gives. You actually receive as well. So as the Father gives to the Son and the Spirit, the Son is giving to the Father and the Spirit, and the Spirit is giving to the Father and the Son, there's just this never-ending flow of love and um, honour and, and, you know, all those good things that, that just represent the goodness of God. And we are being called to represent that in our, our human relationships with one another. In fact, this is, the, this is the picture that Scripture gives for marriage. That when one spouse is giving sacrificially and selflessly for the sake of the other, and then the spouse is returning that, both people win. Both people benefit because you are, as much as you're giving, you're receiving. Essentially, Jesus' prayer invites us to experience what the Trinity has always experienced. It's the ultimate way of being together, of being society, of being community, of being family, of being the church, of being in relationship with God. This is what God's design for humanity is, to experience the very essence and nature and character of who God is in himself. This is what the meta-narrative scripture is talking about as we go from the garden right through to the city at the end. 
It's God being with his people and his people being in him and with him and part of him and united with him. So Jesus prays for unity. And Jesus only does and what he sorry, Jesus only does and says what he sees from the Father. He has just said all this prior to the prayer that we just read. And so the whole Trinity is moving towards this prayer being fulfilled. And it's God himself through the presence of the transforming power of the Holy Spirit that helps us move towards this unity because I cannot do it in my own strength and you probably can't do it in your own strength. Paul the Apostle understood this. As he wrote to the Ephesians, he speaks to this very thing here. In Ephesians chapter 4, look what he says. He says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And the calling they have received is to be in Christ, to be in God. And so he says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Because there is one body and one Spirit. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. We are invited to be part of that. That's our future. Eugene Peterson, when he wrote the paraphrase, The Message, I often like to read that alongside Scripture. It's not Scripture, it's a paraphrase. But he phrases some things sometimes that are really helpful. And verse 3 of what we just read, Peterson puts it like this. He says, Mark that you do this with humility and discipline, not in fits and starts, but steadily, pouring yourselves out for each other in acts of love. Alert at noticing differences and quick at mending fences. I reckon the Western church has been really alert at noticing differences and then separating. Not wanting to to mend and actually keep unity. Love is the foundation of our unity. When Jesus said the greatest command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength. And love your neighbour as yourself. Love is the thing that will allow us to be unified. Being obedient to Jesus' commands helps us love one another. So for the sake of our unity, why we want to be unified is so that we can be aligned with what God is doing in his world. Another word for that, it's God's mission. Just before we read today's section, so when Jesus was praying for his disciples, just before he prays for future believers, Peterson phrases that prayer like this. He says, remember this is Jesus praying for his disciples, make them holy, consecrated, so that's sacred, set apart. With your truth, your word is consecrating truth. In the same way that you gave me a mission in the world, I give them a mission in the world. 
I'm consecrating myself for their sakes so they'll be truth consecrated in their mission. So Jesus had set his disciples up to say, just what I've been doing, I've been demonstrating the reality of the kingdom of God and I've been demonstrating what God the Father is truly like. Now I pass that on to you disciples to do the same. Be on mission, go and do the things that I've started. And then we pick up the mantle of that as the church and continue on. Our goal is to be on mission with God in what he's doing. And what is he doing? He's renewing and drawing and redeeming and recreating all things back to himself. That's what he's doing. So to be on mission is to be aligned with what God is doing in his world. Our unity mirrors the life and reality of the Trinity to those around us. That's the mission. When we go right back in the story, we've got God with his people and we know it goes wrong. So God calls Abram and says, I'm going to use you and your family to represent me to the world. And that wasn't great. So God then creates the nation of Israel. He says, as a group of people, you're going to represent me to the rest of the world. And that wasn't great. And some kings tried to do it and some judges tried to do it and some prophets tried to do it. And then Jesus comes in and says, let me show you how to do it. Let me show you what the Father is like and what he's inviting you into. That's the mission that we've been called to be part of. This is how the world will believe. This is how the world will know by the way you love one another. God's desire is to be with us, to be central in our lives. Brian just shared that. It's about God being at the centre, not an addition. It's why Jesus can say that unless we hate our mother and our father and our siblings, we can have no part in being with him. That's a really tough teaching in one of the Gospels. What he's pointing to is a reality. He's saying, hey, there's a family that you're invited into, that you've been adopted into. And it's a greater reality than the biological family that you're part of right now. It's an eternal reality. It's called the church. It's always weird to be in a church with some people you don't get on with because potentially you're going to spend eternity with them. And maybe we need to practice some of those one another's that Paul writes about, how we treat one another, bear with one another, forgive one another, encourage one another, lift up one another. Maybe we get to practice that here and now. Maybe the fruits of the Spirit actually get developed when we have to rub shoulders with people who rub us up the wrong way. Maybe I develop patience and kindness and gentleness when I'm hanging out with people that I don't always get on with. I think God's pretty wise in how he's put all this together. Our goal is to be obedient to what he's calling us to do. So I want to finish with this. I think we struggle with this being obedient to be unified as the church because a lot of us have said yes to an individual faith. A lot of us have said yes to a personal, privatised faith. Where we may have been told, if you just believe some things about God, 
and you say this prayer, you'll be okay. And what that doesn't leave room for is that, no, we've been invited into a family. We've been invited into a community. We've been invited into a body. And in the body analogy, we all have a role to play. We can't be passive. We have to be present. We have to contribute. We have to play our role so the whole body is healthy. And if we've said yes to this individual privatised faith, it doesn't leave room. In fact, it doesn't give us the the capacity to push in when it gets hard because we think we can just leave that and go somewhere else. And our society says it's all about this hyper-individualised pursuit of be your own whatever. Have your own truth, be your own person, create your own world. That's not the picture we see in Scripture. We can't go to church because we are the church. We can't just simply turn up and attend and not contribute because that's not how our body works. Jesus' prayer, and this is on the back of his discourse in the upper room where he has unpacked, well, he started with the washing of the feet, right? I'm going to show you what humble servant leadership looks like. And then Jesus talks about he's the way, the truth and the life. And Jesus talks about being, remaining in the vine and the branch so you can bear fruit. And Jesus talks about, I'm going to send the the helper, the Holy Spirit to remind you of all the things I've done and said. And he finishes this whole thing with, and my prayer is that you would be unified. Maybe it's the most important part of these chapters. So I want to encourage us that the mission of God is to reveal the love and the character of God to those around us. The church, you and I, have been called to embody that. And we embody that by the way we pursue and chase after and, and, and wrestle for unity with one another because it's the way we love one another that the world will know that we are his disciples and that he is the King of kings and Lord of lords. It's a challenge but we're in it together. What if this prayer was the key informer for mission as we move forward as the church? What if we take this seriously? Let me pray for us as we do that.